Father, you are all glorious. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory that we could give to you. God, we just come before you and acknowledge that sometimes we forget that and we live our life a different way. But God, would you strengthen us now through your word? Would you make us holy? Would you transform us? Speak to us now, God. Give us hearts and ears ready to hear and listen and apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, the sermon is going to be a summary of the entire book of Romans. So last summer, we did Romans 1 through 8, took us about four months. This summer, we did Romans 9 through 16, took us about four or five months again. And uh, today, I want to give an overview of the entire book of Romans. So let's read the book. No, we're not going to read the whole book of Romans today. Okay. Uh, But I would encourage you to do that. Hopefully, some of you did. I sent out an email. Uh, Hopefully, you've been chewing on it already. But before I jump into my recap, I want to start with an illustration. Let's say that you're watching the news, and you see on the news that a judge has let a murderer go free. And and let's say that it was just obvious that this guy had actually committed murder, that he had actually confessed that he had committed murder, that uh, all the evidence was there against him, and even the the prosecution and the defense had agreed that the trial was going to be set to determine whether he should spend life in prison. And every sign pointed to the fact that he was guilty and should spend life in prison. And then what if the judge just all of a sudden decided, maybe he found some technicality in the way the case was going forward, and he said, no, you can go free, completely free. Every once in a while we see a story somewhat like that on the news. And, and what's the usual response? Is our response, hooray, I'm so glad that that guy gets to go free. I think that would be terrible for him to spend his whole life in jail. I'm glad he's free. Is that what we usually think? No. It's usually outrage, right? There has been a miscarriage of justice, and we humans carry around with us a sense of justice, don't we? When something goes wrong, usually when something goes wrong against us, we want it to be made right. Uh, you can just watch kids. I see this a fair amount in my house. It's somebody takes a toy from somebody else, and what's the response? That's not right. So this judge uh, who has let this murderer go free, has he, has he done something noble? Has he, you know, just maybe sped up the system a little bit? Because, you know, in our criminal justice system, we like the idea that people would go to jail for a time, but then then they would come out and they would be rehabilitated. In fact, do you know what the word penitentiary, do you know what that word means? That's the same as jail and prison. comes from the word penitent, which means repentant. So the idea is that we want to send criminals into jail where they will have time to think about what they have done. They can talk to God about what they have done. They can be penitent. They can be repentant. And hopefully at the end of that process, they can go back into society and be rehabilitated. So has the judge just you know, maybe sped up that whole system a little bit and done something praiseworthy? Well, I think that we would say, well, no, he hasn't. He has circumvented that system. But let's look at things from a different angle. What if we were the criminal? Maybe not murderer. I don't know of any murderers in our congregation. Uh, If so, please tell me so I can be aware of you. Um, (laughs) Please. Um, (laughs) But we're all lawbreakers, right? One of the verses that we need to know about Romans... Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are in and of ourselves. We are people who have broken God's laws, done what we should not have done, and deserve punishment, right? 
if there was a trial and we were on trial and God is the judge, who of us could stand before him and say, God, look at me. Look at the life I lived. I think that you'll see that it's perfectly up to your standards. No. It would be sin. And what's the penalty? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the death that was given to all of us through Adam and Eve. It's a physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. Left to ourselves, the penalty for our sin would be eternal separation from God. By the way, those two verses are great verses for you to memorize and just have at the tip of your tongue at any moment. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. They tell us about how we've all sinned and how we've all earned a death penalty. Okay, so back to this trial. We're on trial. God is the judge and we are guilty of mass amounts of sin. How should God respond? Well, there is a wonderfully shocking verse in Romans that I want to show you now that shows you how God responds. It's in Romans 4 or 5 where we see that God is the God who justifies the wicked. Isn't that great? We were the wicked ones. God is the perfect one. He looks at us and through Jesus Christ justifies us. Now justifies is a key word in the book of Romans. Uh, It has to do with declaring somebody to be righteous. Righteousness is God's standard. If God is going to judge, he is going to judge according to the standard of righteousness, which means perfection. And every single one of us has fallen short. In fact, if God were judging and the scale is righteousness, we would come out on the wicked side. But praise the Lord, God is the God who justifies the wicked. So is God kind of like the judge who let the murderer go free? What do you think? He justifies the wicked. You know what? God is kind of like that. But there's one huge exception. God has a perfect plan to rehabilitate us. You see, that's the weakness of our criminal justice system, is that we don't have a perfect plan to rehabilitate criminals. And that's why some of them need to go away for life. But God has a plan to transform us and to make us holy. And it has to do with the gospel message. And the book of Romans is about the gospel and about this wonderful change that God does for us, the God who justifies the wicked. And there's a similar verse in 417 that tells us of the God who gives life to the dead. That's who God is. We were the wicked ones, the dead ones. God justifies us and gives us life. So what I want to do today uh, for my sermon is I want to, like I said, do an overview of the entire book of Romans and I'm going to break it into four parts. I used to say I break it into three parts but I changed my mind because I reserve the right to do that. Now I look at it in four parts. The first part is the longest part. It's actually the first half of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 8. And we're going to look at that first. And it's just simply about the gospel, the good news. The word gospel, by the way, simply means good news. It's the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Five times in the first 17 verses of Romans, we see the word gospel. We're told that it's the gospel of God. We're told that it's the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're also told that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for everyone who believes. So simply put, the gospel is the message of how we were wicked sinners, but God took our sin and placed it on Jesus. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and proved his victory over sin and death by raising again from the dead so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can have eternal life. 
It is good news, and it's the only solution to our sin problem. Now, I, along with what seems to be most commentators and theologians, have picked out Romans 1.17 as the key verse in the book of Romans. I want to put it up here for you. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. I just quickly point out three words in that verse, three key words from the book of Romans. First is gospel, which I've already told you is the good news. Second is righteousness, meaning perfection. And remember, it's, it's not that we had our own perfection, because we don't. We had imperfection and wickedness. So for, the, for it to say that God reveals a righteousness to us is good news, because the only way we're getting into heaven is if we're righteous. So in the gospel, righteousness from God is revealed. And how do we get it? It says in here, it's by faith. By faith, from first to last. Or some of your translations, I think, say from faith to faith. It's all about faith. Faith means trusting and believing. Those three words, pretty much whenever you see them in the Bible, faith, trust, or believe, it's the same thing. They, they talk about how we are to totally give ourselves to God to follow him. Faith doesn't just mean that we agree that something is true. It means that we live our lives according to that truth. So it's a, faith, in many ways, then, is a, is a choice. It's an act of our will to say, God, I, I believe in you, and I'm going to live according to your ways. It's a commitment we make. Not that we're able to do that perfectly in our, on our own, but it's the, it's the commitment that we make in our heart to give our lives to God. One of the ways I like to think of it is that Jesus gave his life for us. One of my favorite verses in Romans is Romans 5.8. It says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he came. He gave his life for us that we might be completely forgiven of our sins. Our response should be the response of faith, giving our lives to him, committing to follow him for the rest of our lives. Remember, we don't come into this as perfect people on our own. Like it says in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's what we bring to the table. If it were simply a matter of God judging us according to what we have earned, what we have worked for, the verdict would be guilty, because that's what we would be. And by the way, too many people in this world assume that that's the way that it works, that, that heaven is about doing more good than evil, and then God grades on the curve, hopefully. I like to think of it this way, that if, if I were to come before God, just on my own, I would have a pile of good works, and, and hopefully that pile would be pretty big, but I'd also have a pile of bad works. And, and too many people, I think, are hoping that, well, my, my good works pile is a little bit bigger than my bad works pile, so God's going to let me in. Or at least, you know, I'm not as bad as Hitler, or my neighbor, who always mows his lawn at 4 o'clock in the morning, or whatever else it might be. Um, and we think that God might be lenient. But here's the problem. The, the bad things that we have done make us unrighteous. There's no one righteous, not even one. None of us could go through this life without sin. So we need Jesus. It's the only way for our sin to be taken care of. And praise the Lord, that's what happens in the gospel. And Romans 3.22 tells us, this righteousness from God, not from us, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's the only way we're getting righteousness. How does it happen? Through faith to all who believe. And what do we believe in? We believe in Jesus Christ. 
And to believe in Him means to follow Him. means to live according to His ways. To commit ourselves to Him. We sinned. God gives us righteousness. And if He has declared us to be righteous, what does that mean for us? Romans 8.1. It's interesting. A lot of you have come up to me during the course of this Roman series and said something about how you love Romans 8.1. I love it too. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You think about that. Think about the trial that we would be on. Our, our evil deeds testifying against us, trying to declare to us and to God that we are unrighteous, which on our own we would be. But because of what Christ did for us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. God brought us to himself through Jesus Christ. And uh, what could separate us? Paul asks that question at the end of Romans 8. Here's his answer. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For in Christ, nothing can separate us. Praise the Lord for that. We have been transformed from enemies. That's what it said we were in Romans 5.10. And we've been transformed into children. Romans 8.17 talks about how we are children. And not just children, but heirs of God. And not just heirs, but co-heirs with Christ. Let me ask you a question. The inheritance that God the Father has for His Son, Jesus Christ, do you think it's a good one? Do you think He has some pretty awesome things planned in that, as part of that inheritance? We are co-heirs with Christ in that inheritance. It's God's wonderful gift of, of love and mercy to us. That's what He loves to give to us. We are brought from death to life. And because we are brought into life, we have a new life to live. Too many people, including Christians, just continue on in the old way of life. But please know that there is new life to live in Jesus Christ, a life which, which God wants to empower us to live. It's a new life where we live by faith and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we have a choice to make. We, we can either live according to the old ways or live according to the new ways. In Romans 8, 5, tells us clearly. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. A few verses later it says we have an obligation not to live for the sinful nature, but to live according to the Spirit. Our old way of life was sin and death, but our new way of life is life and eternal life. A life of following Christ. So on that note, Romans 6.11, this became one of my favorite verses walking through Romans. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now let me ask you, here's the trivia question. In the same way as what? Who remembers this? Romans 6.11, in the same way as what? Anybody? In the same way as Jesus. It says in, in Romans 6.10 that he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lived to God. Jesus only died once, will, will never, can never die again, but now always lives and lives for God. In the same way as Jesus 
died once and now lives to God forever. We are to count ourselves dead to sin. We still have the opportunity to live for sin if we want to, but we are to consider ourselves dead to it. And we are to consider ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a new way of life. It requires a new way of thinking. And God will strengthen us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live that way. And that's the kind of life that I want to live and I want you all to live. And it's not just that God asks us to live that life. It tells us in Romans 8 that both the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself intercede for us. Isn't that assuring? Anybody here ever feel like you don't have what, what it takes to live the life that God wants you to live? You ever feel like you stumble along the way? You ever even feel like you don't know what to pray for? Well, Scripture reassures us that in those times that the Holy Spirit prays for us in our weakness and that even Jesus is interceding for us. God justifies wicked sinners like you and me through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful work of transformation that he loves to do for any of us who give our lives to Jesus and follow him by faith. But you see, there's a difference there between that kind of life of faith and the kind of life that we would try to earn with God on our own. We can't earn our way to God, but if we put our faith in Christ, he gives us new life. It's great news for you. And a simple question here at the end of this first part, have you received Jesus by faith? If not, I want you to talk to him right now in the quietness of your heart. Confess your sins to him. Admit your need for Jesus. And by faith, give your life to him. Just talk to God. It's not even about the words that you use. It's about the faith that you have in giving yourself to him. It's life for those who believe. So it's great news, but... This great news isn't just for you because as we move on now in Romans, the next section, chapters 9 through 11, talk about Paul's heart for the lost and it's a great model of, of the way that we should have a heart for the lost as well. Paul was given the task of bringing the gospel to Gentiles. Now the word Gentiles just simply means non-Israelites. That was the job that God gave him to do. But it wasn't that Paul didn't want the gospel to go to the Israelites. He, he really did. Look at Chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, For I can wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And then in 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul deeply wanted those who didn't yet know Jesus to come to know him. So he spent the rest of his life bringing the gospel to people who hadn't heard it yet. Because he knew that if they were to receive Jesus by faith, they had to hear about him. It's a very logical thing. Ed was talking about logic in our Sunday school this morning. Well, here's some logic for you. I love these verses. Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Makes sense, right? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel is good news, and we should bring it to others. Now, I, I know that we know that in here. We talk about that a lot. But I want to remind you that it's God's work to bring the gospel to others. He is the one who opens the doors, and he will strengthen us, give us the words to say when he gives us those opportunities. So let's trust that God can use even us because God loves to use us in that process. And when you share the gospel, please know that there is power from God 
for salvation for anyone who believes. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Romans 10.9 That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. So we go forth with this wonderful message of power and of new life. God himself empowers us to bring the message and the Holy Spirit works on people's hearts that if they respond by faith they receive new life and salvation. Application point here, let's tell others the gospel. And again, please know that God can and loves to use you in the process. What a privilege it is to be able to explain the gospel to people who have never heard it or who have never understood it. And by the way, there are a lot of people, even around us in Fergus Falls, who who don't know the gospel message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of people out there still assume that it's a matter of just doing good works. But again, where do our good works get us? Nowhere. Because our unrighteousness is right along with us. The only solution is faith in Christ. And we can tell others that message. God can open the doors and he can give us the words to say. You can pray for your family and your neighbors and whoever else it might be. And God can open those doors. Let's trust that he'll do that. Okay. Um, Transitioning then to the third point. uh, What about good works? We, we might miss the boat if we would say, well, since we can't be saved by good works, then I guess good works aren't important. Because you know what? God actually wants us to do good works. Now, don't miss this boat. We have to have faith first. Our good works aren't worth anything if we don't do them by faith. But if we have faith, then God has lined up all sorts of good works that he wants us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk around in. So yes, good works are important. Once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are to live a life of good works. So our third section here is commands to obey. And the commands are those good things that God wants us to do, or some of them are things that God doesn't want us to do. So look how Paul makes this transition. Uh, talking about how good the gospel message is into how we should obey him and live new lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it starts off with God's mercy. When he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, he's talking about all the good news of the gospel that he's already explained. And in view of that mercy, what are we supposed to do? Offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices. Now I love this picture of living sacrifices because Paul must have been thinking about the Old Testament sacrifices. You bring an animal in, the priests offer it on the fire, and it's pleasing to God. I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and it's talking about this aroma that's pleasing to God as these sacrifices are offered. So let me ask you a question about these animal sacrifices. From the animal's perspective, what percentage of its life was given as a sacrifice to God? From the animal's perspective. A hundred, yeah. I mean, it's not like the animal said, okay, Mr. Owner, you can uh, cut half of me off and then give that part of me to the fire and then I'll just 
live the rest of my life as just half an animal. No. It's ridiculous, right? 100% of the animal was given over to God as a sacrifice. Now in the New Testament, what are we supposed to do? Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. What percent? 100%. Our entire lives are to be taken up with worship in that sort of way. In all that we do and think and say, we are to worship God as living sacrifices. It's not like we just check in every once in a while, like, uh, you know, God, I'll go to church on Sunday morning and I'll try to remember to pray before I eat. Um, Those are good things to do, but don't assume that that's the entirety of your spiritual life. Our spiritual act of worship is this 100% of our lives lived with God and for God. That's the new life in Christ that God wants us to live. Now let me just ask you a question on that, because now I'm starting to preach to myself and make myself uncomfortable. So if I'm supposed to live 100% of my life for Jesus, uh, I'll ask you the question, but I'm asking myself too, where did you struggle with that in this past week? As you think about your life and the ways that hopefully you wanted to honor God with all that you did, but then there were some times where you kind of went your own way and you struggled. Maybe it's, there's a, was there a stressful time in your life this week where you just forgot about God and started doing things in your own power? Were there some times where you responded in a, in a poor way? Were there some things that you did that you know you shouldn't have done because they're sinful? Think about those times where you struggled with God. And then as you're thinking about them, just take them up to God and say, God, I'm sorry for that. Because our repentance can be one of the ways that we honor God, too. If there are things that you struggle with, talk to God about them. And, and maybe in God's power, this week will be better than last week. As you go forth as a living sacrifice and saying, okay, this situation has come up again and I know that I usually struggle with it. God, I'm going to ask for your help because I want to honor you as a living sacrifice, even in this. So whatever it is, live for Jesus. We are not to follow the pattern of this world or the desires of our flesh. We are be, to be transformed. And isn't that good news in that verse 2 up there? God transforms us. As we offer ourselves continually to him, he actually makes us into new people. He, he brings newness into our life. You see, God rescues us from death, but he doesn't just rescue us out of death, he brings us into new life. And then as we move forward in chapters 12 through 15, we see that in this new life there are a bunch of things that we should do and a bunch of things we shouldn't do. Uh, One of the main commands, it's repeated a couple of times, is about love. In 12.10 it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Or in 13.9, quoting from the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of the commands in these chapters are about how we should treat each other, how we should pursue unity. In our old way of life, we treated people as enemies, or we were short with people, or we looked down on people who don't measure up to our standards. But in Christ, we are to love and to pursue unity. And think about it. We used to be God's enemies. What has God done for us? Brought us to himself, brought us into a new relationship with him. That's the pattern then for our relationships with other people. We forgive and we pursue unity and a loving relationship with other people as well. 
We are to respond to them the way that God responds to us. And chapter 14 tells us there's going to be people who disagree with us. But it sums it all up in 15 and 7 by saying, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here's the application. We have new life to live in Christ. So therefore, we are to obey God's commands as we love Him and then as we spread that love to one another. Okay, then the fourth section of Romans, starting in the middle of chapter 15 through the end of 16, is personal greetings. It might be the most overlooked part of the book of Romans, but there are some wonderful things that we can pick out from here. And I just want to pick out three of them real quickly. First of all, fellowship is important. These chapters list a lot of people, but what does that imply? It implies a lot of relationships going on. When we come to Christ, we're brought into the body of Christ, and other believers are part of that body too. So as we look around us, you see the other people here, you see other believers as you run into them, these are people that God has put into your life to encourage you, and people that you can encourage. We're all to spur each other on toward love and good deeds, like it says in Hebrews 10. So as we see the people around us, let's recognize that fellowship is important. And by the way, that's another great reason to be part of a small group Bible study, is because fellowship is important. And then second, prayer is important. In chapter 15, verse 30, Paul asked for prayer, because you see, Paul had, a, had important things that God had given him to do, so he asked for prayer. And it's not just Paul that has important things to do, it's every single one of us. Again, one of the things I love about God is how he loves every one of us and has unique plans for every one of us, good works prepared for us to do. So what should we do? We should pray that God would strengthen us. And don't just pray for yourself, pray for other people. So prayer is important. And then third, serving is important. It's neat as you look at the list of all these 16, uh, chapter 16, all these people who are doing all these things. Um, some of these people it says risked their lives. Several of them it says worked hard. Many of them were commended for using their gifts or their possessions. God had given some of them houses that they could use to, to host a house church. God has given us things, talents that we can use and should use for his glory. He's given us possessions and maybe that's a house or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a truck you can use to help move people. Whatever it is that God has given you, use it for his glory. When we come to Christ, like I said, we're brought into the body of Christ, the body of believers. We have new life to live and we are to live it together. So the application point here, let's do this new life together, supporting and encouraging each other, serving Christ together. Okay, and then real quickly now, we've walked through all four sections. I just want to end by pointing out one word that is in all four sections. It's it's perhaps not the main word in the book of Romans. It's probably not the main word, but it's one of the ending words, and it, it does show up a few times in the book of Romans. It's the word glory. We saw in chapter 323 that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. On our own, that's who we are, that's what we do. But there's a better path. Abraham set a good example in 420. It it says that he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. It's talking about a time in his life where he was going through something difficult. And what did he do? 
He walked by faith. And in walking by faith, he gave glory to God. And then moving ahead to 1136, it says, speaking of God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God created us. God loves us and has good plans for us. Our job is to remember that and to give him glory, to, to live for the one who created us. Let's encourage each other along those lines. Then chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses get at unity, so they also talk about fellowship. So one of the things that we are to encourage each other to do when we get together is to give glory to God. Sometimes we forget, as we go throughout our own lives, we have our own plans. You often notice, I notice this, how often my plans tend to differ with God's plans, and when I choose my plans, I'm not giving glory to God. So when we come together, we can encourage each other to seek God and live according to His ways. And then the book of Romans ends with this verse. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We came into this as sinners deserving punishment. But praise be to God, he justifies the wicked. And it is good news. We'd be dead without that. Through the gospel, God sets us free and invites us into new life with him. And it's interesting, this word glory, um, we're supposed to give glory to God, but it also says three times in Romans 8 that God will bring us into glory and that he wants to glorify us. It's an amazing message, the gospel, of how God brings us from death and brings us into a wonderful new life. And that new life is eternal life that will last with God forever in heaven. Wonderful truths in the book of Romans. These are truths that should be lived out in our daily lives. There are things that God wants us to believe. Again, faith is a key word. So all these things that we know to be true, we are to live according to the truth of them. And as we do that, God will continue to transform us. So let's live by faith, glorifying God for all the things that we know to be true about him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this wonderful message of the gospel. That though we were sinners, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus for us, that we could be forgiven and cleansed and brought into new life. And God, I thank you that you have new life for us, not just in heaven after we die, but we thank you that you have new life for us now to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can live that life for your glory. But God, I pray that we would continually offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices, that we would not simply live our lives for what we want, but that we would give our lives to you. And as we do that, God, we praise you that you transform us and that you lead us into new life. So would you strengthen us to obey you and to follow your commands and to walk by faith and to give you glory. God, help us to continue to encourage each other. But also, God, we pray that you would strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the lives that you want us to live. May we live them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.